0: Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. You have Bibles this morning. Open them to the book of Psalms. We're going to be looking at Psalm 91. The book of Psalms, chapter 91, is going to be our text today. Thank you, James. Thank you to our praise team. We appreciate you guys very much. Well, let me start this morning with an observation, a rather somber observation, but I think that you'll agree it's accurate. We live in perilous times, in many ways, scary times. The words of Jesus in Matthew 24 aptly describe our world today. False teachers, Wars and rumors of wars, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places, tribulations, persecution, the love of many growing cold. What is a Christian to do? From where do we get comfort? How do we handle our fears as they arise in this scary world? I want you to think back with me, if you would, to when you were a young child, For some of us, that's a long time ago, me included, right? But as a young child, where did you feel the safest of any place in the world? For many of us, I think that answer would be in the arms of our parents. If not our parents, hopefully there was another adult in your life who stepped up and filled that role, maybe a grandparent or another relative When you're a young child, there's no safer place to be than on your parents' lap with their strong, loving arms wrapped around you. In that place, as a young child, you don't feel like anything can touch you. You're safe. You're loved. Sometimes after Sunday morning worship, I'll be in the lobby and I'll I'll see one of our churches little ones wandering a few steps away from mom or dad, and I'll kind of look at them and wave at them a little bit or sometimes kind of point my finger at them. And what do they do? They quickly scamper back to mom and dad's side, keeping a watchful eye on me the whole way. Why do they do that? Because that's where they feel safe. In like manner, God wants his children to feel the same. He wants us to know that in his arms in the arms of our Father in heaven, that we are loved, that we are safe, and that we are protected. And that is the primary message of today's psalm. The promise of God's protection over his children is a message that many of us have probably heard before. Nevertheless, it's good for us to be reminded and encouraged with the truth that God always, always watches over his children. The title of today's sermon is Safe in the Arms of God. If you're a note taker, I'll kind of give you some advanced warning here. We're going to divide this morning's text into three key sections. First, verses 1 through 2 is an invitation to God's presence. Second, verses 3 through 13 is a declaration of God's protection. And then finally, verses 14 through 16, we see a proclamation of God's promise. And we'll recap those points as we go along. But before we get to the text, I do want to throw in just one personal note. Uh, In my mind, this will forever be known as Mildred's psalm. Uh, Several years ago, we had a dear lady in our church named Mildred Pond, Jeff Tatum's grandmother, if you know Jeff. Uh, Mildred has since gone to heaven, but she would always request that I read this psalm at her bedside. This was her favorite psalm. She wanted to hear it over and over. So in my mind, it's Mildred's psalm. Maybe it will be some of, to some of you, it will be the same thing. But let's read our first section of verses. We're going to start by reading chapter 91, verses one and two. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God In him I will trust. These first two verses comprise an invitation to God's presence. The first thing I want to point out about this verse, rather, these verses, is the phrase secret place. Oftentimes we point out the biblical emphasis on public worship, on gathering with other believers, and rightfully so. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community. We need the fellowship and accountability of our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no such thing in the New Testament as a lone ranger Christian. What we do in this place, joining ourselves to the body of Christ, is extremely important. There's no doubt about that. At the same time, the Bible also talks about our relationship with God consisting of a personal or private component. Yes, there are times when we need to be with other believers, but there are also times when we need to be alone with God to come into the secret place and pour our heart out before him, to dwell in his presence, just us and him. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6, saying, But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The idea of coming into the secret place... To enter God's presence and spend time with Him is called different things by different people. Some people call it a devotion. Some people call it a quiet time. Some people literally call it entering their prayer closet. Whatever you call it, coming into that secret place, spending time alone with the Lord in His Word and in prayer is a vital component of spiritual health. There is no way that we can have a healthy relationship with the Lord if we don't spend time with him. In verses one and two, God is in essence inviting us into his presence. He's saying, come child, dwell with me in the secret place. Sit on my knee, let me put my arms around you, abide under my shadow. God's shadow here represents his presence and his protection. Like the shadow of a mighty oak Shields a man from the withering heat of the summer sun, so God's shadow shields us from the trials and tribulations of life in this world. And notice the response of God's child in verse 2 I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. In other words, when the psalmist spends time in the secret place with his father, he feels safe, he feels protected. His trust is in God. Let me ask you this morning, how are you doing at spending time in the secret place? How are you doing at having a devoted time uninterrupted where you can read your Bible and spend time in prayer and just be quiet before the Lord, dwelling, if even for a few moments, in his presence? If you've never adopted the spiritual discipline of the secret place in your life, or if it's grown lax, I'd encourage you to start making that a priority today. Find a time, find a place, find a rhythm, a routine that will allow you to consistently spend time alone with the Lord in Bible study and in prayer, and then commit yourself to that time. Don't miss it. I truly believe that much of the fear and anxiety And stress and depression that you and I experience on any given day can often be directly attributed to how little time that we spend alone with God. God is inviting you today, come, dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Pull up a chair and stay a while. Get out of the sun of this brutal world and come into my shade and rest. Once we make a regular practice of coming to him in the secret place, then we'll find, as the psalmist, that God is our refuge, that he is our fortress, that we can trust him with everything in our life. As we move on to the next section of our passage, we see another important truth. Not only does God invite us into his presence, but he also protects his children. Look with me, if you would, now at verses 3 through 13. It says, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A 1,000 may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone." You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. These verses that we just read comprise a declaration of God's protection. Aren't you glad for God's protection over your life? Probably every one of us here today could tell at least one story in which we know the only reason we're even still here is because of God's divine protection. I would submit that for every example of God's protection over our life that you and I know about, there are probably a thousand other things God has protected us from that we never had any idea. God is good, and he protects his children. In fact, in the verses that we just read, several ways are listed in which God does exactly that. And For our purposes this morning, I've arranged them into five categories, so let's look at those briefly. First... God protects us from man. Verse three says that he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. The imagery that's used here depicts us as a little tiny bird and God as the big papa bird protecting us under his mighty wing from the hunter who is trying to snare us, who is trying to trap us, trying to catch us. The point is that God protects his children From the schemes of wicked men. We see this in the lives of biblical characters such as Joseph, such as David, such as Daniel, such as Paul. We even see it in the cross that God has a way of taking what man means for evil and using it for good in the lives of his children. Do you have a person in your life who doesn't like you? A person who is gunning for you? A person seeking to entrap you, cry out to the one who delivers his children from the snare of the fowler. Give that person over to God. Trust him to deliver you, and he will. Second, God protects his children from the perils of a fallen world. Verses 3 and 6 say that God protects his children from pestilence or disease. Verse 10 says that he protects them from plague. Indeed, it says that no evil shall befall them. Verse 13 says that he even protects them from lions and cobras. Now, let's pause right here for just a moment. And let's be real with one another. How many read those verses and the first thought that comes into your head is, he doesn't always protect them. Because we all know Christians who have gotten sick and died. Some that we love dearly. We all know Christians who have suffered tragic loss in this world. We all know Christians who have been abused and hurt by no fault of their own. We all know Christians who have been the victim of horrible accidents where they were just simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's the reality of life in a fallen world. How do we square that reality with what we're reading here. The declaration that God protects his children because something doesn't seem to add up. What we need to understand when we read passages such as this is that the psalmist does not mean his words to be understood as a hard and fast rule. Nowhere does the Bible promise that becoming a Christian or a follower of God means that your life will be free of hardship and suffering. Rather, passages such as this are meant to express a general truth that God protects his children from many, many bad things in this world. As we said earlier, he no doubt protects us from countless more things than we could ever begin to comprehend. At the same time, we understand he does allow his children to suffer at times, both for their good and ultimately for his glory. If we don't acknowledge that, I don't think we're being honest with ourselves or with the text. Nevertheless, praise God for all the ways in which he does protect us from the perils of a fallen world each and every day. Third, God protects his children from the judgment of the wicked. Verses 7 and 8 speak to this, saying that, A thousand wicked men may fall on one side of God's child and 10,000 on the other side, but God's punishment, or as it says, his reward on the wicked, shall not come near his child. That child may look around and see the carnage all around him, but God knows how to protect his child in the middle of that carnage, even as he punishes the wicked. 2 Peter 2 speaks to this same idea, pointing out that God expelled the fallen angels from heaven, casting them down to hell, even while he preserved the faithful angels in heaven. It also points out that God saved Noah and his family in the ark, even while he destroyed the rest of the world. It also points out that God saved Lot and his daughters, even while destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. In like manner, that passage teaches us, God knows how to judge the wicked, even still today, without harming the righteous in the process. As we look around the world today and we see the abject wickedness all around us, we know that God's judgment cannot linger long and in many ways is already upon us. What these verses assure us is that While we should not expect God to take us out of this world, at least not until Jesus comes back, God does know how to protect his children even while judging the wickedness that is all around us. Fourth, we see in this passage that God protects us from the enemy. Verse 5 speaks of the terror that comes by night and the arrows that fly by day. Verse 10 speaks of the evil that seeks to befall us or overtake us. These verses describe an enemy that wants to destroy us. As Christians, we know the Bible identifies that enemy as Satan, the accuser of the brethren. Ephesians 6 depicts Satan as the one who shoots fiery darts, fiery arrows at the people of God. Christian, if you did not know Anytime that you try and live for the Lord, Satan is going to attack you. He's going to shoot those fiery arrows at you. He's going to attack you individually. He's going to attack your family. And not only that, when God begins to move in a church, Satan will look for ways to attack that church as well. This is why we must always be on guard against him and against his schemes. This is why we must be sure to have our spiritual armor on. We must be sure to have our shield and buckler, as it says in verse 4. I had to look up what a buckler is. A buckler is a little shield. So you got your big shield, you got your little shield. And both of those things, verse 4 says, are the truth of God, the word of God. The more that we're guided by the truth of God's word, the more power that we'll have to resist the devil. But thank God that he does protect us from the enemy, for if he did not, We could never resist him on our own. Fifth, God protects his people by utilizing his angels. Again, verses 11 and 12 say, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. We know from the book of Hebrews that angels are ministering spirits sent forth by God to minister to his people, those who will inherit salvation, that text says. That is to say that angels watch over Christians. That's one key aspect of their job. They protect us. They keep us out of trouble. Some of us make them work a little harder than others. At the same time, we are not to test this God-given protection. If you recall, it was this very passage that the devil used in the wilderness to tempt Jesus. The devil told Jesus, cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple. Nothing bad will happen to you. Psalm 91 says that the angels will catch you. They'll bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. A couple of things there. The devil knows scripture, doesn't he? And second, he loves to twist it. And he loves to take it out of context. Thus, you may also recall that Jesus rebuked Satan for those words and told him, you are not to tempt the Lord your God. In like manner, if a Christian were to say, I'm going to go out on a dark night and just lay down in the middle of Highway 65, his angels will protect me. That's what Psalm 91 says. No, that's not how that verse works. Yes, God utilizes his angels to protect his people. He is kind and he is gracious to send them to help us. But that doesn't apply if we're being stupid. And it doesn't apply if we're being careless. But the bottom line is, in all of these things listed in verses 3 through 13, we see the principle that God protects his people. And so we need to praise God this morning for his divine protection that is always over our life. Let us now move to the third and last section of today's passage, verses 14 through 16. It says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him My salvation. These verses comprise a proclamation of God's promise. These verses are very interesting because the point of view, if you didn't notice, it changes here. The point of view changes from the psalmist to God. Whereas up to this point, the psalmist talks about God, now God talks about the psalmist. In these three verses, God proclaims a beautiful. Set of promises over the man at the center of Psalm 91. Listen again to what God promises. I will deliver him. I will set him on high. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him. I will show him my salvation. I want us to note a couple things about these promises. First, These promises are all of God's initiative. Notice the number of times God says, I, I will deliver him. I will set him on high. I will answer him, etc." It is God's decision to bless the psalmist in these ways. There is no merit in the psalmist, no good works that he has done to earn God's favor or force God's hand. God blesses the psalmist of his own volition simply because God is good and because God loves him. Second, while the psalmist can do nothing to earn the blessings of God, it does point out two things about him in verse 14 that describe him. Number one, he loves God. And number two, he knows God. It says in verse 14, he knows his name. Now, we know from Scripture that even the ability to love and know God are a gift of God's grace. Verse 16 says that salvation was something shown to the psalmist by God. So even that is not something for which the psalmist can take credit. Nevertheless, the point remains, and here's what I really want us to grasp. God's promises are for those who love him and know him. That is to say, his promises are for those who have a personal relationship with him. And the only way to have a personal relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm. The presence of God, the protection of God, the promises of God are ours through Jesus. Once we come to God through faith in Jesus, we are adopted as his child. And the promises of God then apply to us. God will be with us always, and he will never leave us, and he will never forsake us. Today, we've talked about being safe in the arms of God. And I can tell you this, there is no greater peace. There is no greater comfort than to be safe in the arms of God. Christian, I hope that that's an encouragement to you today. If you're struggling, if you're hurting, know that God's arms are wrapped around you. Know that you are safe under the shadow of his wings. Rest in that knowledge today. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, he invites you to come. Repent of your sin. Believe upon Jesus and God will adopt you into his Family, you will become his son, his daughter, and as his child, he will bring you under his shadow, he will protect you under his wing, and you will, he will always be with you. There may be someone here today who is a Christian, but you've strayed from God. Yes, you go to church, yes, you go through the motions, but it's been a long time since you've really, truly dwelled in the secret place with the Lord. Since you've consistently spent time in his presence, won't you come back to him today? He welcomes you with open arms to say, Lord, I'm sorry for neglecting my relationship with you. Forgive me. I want to be close to you again. Help me to draw near to you. And if you do that, he will forgive you and he will welcome you back into his presence He is your Father, and He loves you. Whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to do today, however He is leading you to respond to this message from His Word, be obedient to His voice. Let's bow our heads, let's pray, and then we'll have a time of response. Father, we come to You now, and we thank You for the 91st Psalm. We thank You that You inspired the author to write it thousands of years ago and that it is just as true and trustworthy and applicable today as it was the day it was written. Thank you, Lord, that your word speaks deep into our heart. Now, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would minister your word to each and every heart in this room, that your spirit would apply the word to each and every heart situation and scenario that's represented in this room, and if it is your will for anyone to publicly respond to you today, that you would give them the courage to come and to do that. Lord, we commit this time of response to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.